0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations.
1: Prices
2: vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Happy New Year, everyone. We have so much in store for women who travel in 2024. As we continue to celebrate the holiday season, we're sharing an episode of Critics at Large from our friends at The New Yorker. In this episode, you're about to hear hosts Vincent Cunningham, Nomi Fry, and Alexander Schwartz discuss a memoir that made many headlines last year, Britney Spears' The Woman in Me. Make sure to follow The New Yorker's Critics at Large wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to Critics at Large, a podcast from The New Yorker. I'm Vincent Cunningham.
1: I'm Alex Schwartz
0: and I'm Nomi Fry. Hi everyone. Hello. Hey. Hi. We're all staff writers of the New Yorker. Uh, and each week on this show we make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. And today oh, baby, baby. Yes, you guessed it. It's Britney Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Apologies <laughs> to everyone. Britney Spears's memoir is out. It's called The Woman in Me. Oh,
3: baby, baby, how was I so-
0: been hugely anticipated. Copies are flying off the shelves like uh, (laughs) hotcakes. Yeah. Um, And she's even already been teasing that there will be a volume two coming next year. I guess we'll have to see. Um, But in some ways, uh, this Britney mania all makes complete sense because she's had a life. Has she not, my Mm, friends? Absolutely. Um, By the time she was seventeen, she was one of the most famous pop stars of the early two thousands. You know, she kind of she played that role of the kind of virginal but sexy American teen dream.
3: In the hallways of a high school in her uniform, tearing it up.
1: (laughs) Tearing it up, yeah. In her music videos, for sure, yeah. The knotted shirt.
0: You know, for those of us who grew up with Britney in those years, it's indelible. Yeah, it was an impressionable young mind. Yeah. Nothing like it. And we will talk about this, uh, but we will also talk about how her life and her mental health unraveled after, you know, this like shining, shining start in the late 90s, early 2000s. Throughout the aughts, Uh, she had a series of mental health crises. She was placed in a conservatorship for 13 years um, the conservatorship is now over, has been over since 2021, and the promise of this memoir is that we're finally getting Britney's own version of the story in her voice. And we're not just going to talk about Britney's memoir, however, we're also going to be looking at the celebrity memoir genre more broadly. And one of the interesting things to me about these books is actually what they say about us as as readers, you know we we get so many behind the scenes insights already in this day and age into the lives of famous people from social media. So, what do we as readers want from these books, and what do we want from celebrities? Is it authenticity? Is it drama? Is it glamour? Is it something else? So, on the pod today, <laughs> the celebrity memoir in 2023, and why do we care? Okay, you guys, let us begin with this, <laughs> with this investigation. Um, when you are confronted with a book from a very famous person, what is it that keeps you reading? What are you looking for?
3: I think I'm hoping to find the when, – whenever I am confronted in such a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, when it comes down to me and this book, uh, I think I'm trying to find out like, face to face exactly <laughs>
0: the good, the bad, and the ugly. All
3: this face off. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to get like the backstage view of things I already knew. Okay. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm I'm I've seen the 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 show of this life, right, as it has unfolded in multiple media, whatever. Yes. And now I'm hoping that I'll like learn a story, get a tidbit that I otherwise wouldn't have known. I think that the sort of illusion at work is fly on the wall let me Mm -hmm. show you um some things that you know what that room was like what that person that i was friends with or dated was like yes or whatever
1: what about you alex OK, well, I have to come clean <laughs> right at the top. I have never read a celebrity memoir. It's not that. Yes, of course I've read a celebrity <laughs> memoir. In fact, I'm sure I've read a few. And, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm the egghead here who just turns up my nose at these books. Never. No. no. Never. Um, you get down and dirty. I get down and dirty. Down and, and dirty. You're like, and let the me Alex prove Schwartz story. I mean so part of the issue that I sometimes have with this genre is going – like everything Vincent said makes total sense to me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when – it's a little bit like the fairy dust is scraped away and you're left with something that's a little more cut and dried than what you want to know. Sometimes seeing behind the scenes, you're seeing all the wire and the gaffer's tape and that kind of stuff and like maybe the very things that that make you thrilled to it, Vincent – I don't necessarily want to look at, but I'm not even sure that's the case. I mean, I will tell you something, which which is something paradoxically that I often want to get from the celebrity memoir is a sense of the celebrity's own voice. And I say paradoxically because we all know that the vast, vast, vast majority of these books are written either by ghostwriters or with Mm ghostwriters, some kind of combination. Mm -hmm. Right. But like for instance, one that I'm thinking of now mm-hmm. that I've really enjoyed that I've recently read, actually listened to on tape, mm-hmm. was um, is Andre Agassi's memoir. Oh, you know Andre Agassi, the great American tennis player, former number one in the world. Also
0: written written by the same ghostwriter or the same collaborator, I should say, who wrote the Prince Har- the extremely best-selling Prince Harry. Memoir published recently, spare yes j r. Uh, r. moringer j.r.
1: Moringer, yes. yes and the voice that comes through um you know the extraordinary nature of his story mm-hmm. his father, all mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. you really feel like you are being you have access to the consciousness that went through it, right, right,
3: right which
0: brings us to Brittany mm. and to Brittany's memoir, the Woman in Me, that we all read over the past couple days, we right. Sure did. We sure did. Uh, I, you know, I very rarely read books not on paper, Mm -hmm. but I bought this book for Kindle and I read it on my phone, which is a very rare occurrence. And one of the reasons that I felt like it was okay is that it's a bit on the skimpy side. I was like, okay, this is not I'm not going to be reading like Tolstoy on my phone. You know, (laughs) I'm going to be walking through this Fairly easily. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a...
3: It's a skimmable book. It's
1: a bit of a skimmable book. Mm-hmm. Well, Brittany herself skims. That's right. She skims a lot. That's right. Part That's of the horror right. is that That's... she
3: skims through things that are horrible, and you yeah. have to read the paragraph a couple times to be like, wait, what just happened?
1: Yeah. Yes. It's a horror story. Yes. Tell us how so. Well, the horror story... It's 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 a it's a horror story and it's a dark twisted fairy tale. It's mm-hmm, the girl mm-hmm. from Kentwood, Louisiana mm-hmm. who has great talent and drive who becomes a child performer, which first of all is already a scary thing, I think. Yeah, like
3: full-stop child performer. Yeah. yeah, horrible.
1: I mean, she becomes a child laborer mm-hmm. in the entertainment field mm-hmm. was my impression mm-hmm. of it. She That's gets right. an agent in New York, she is a she becomes An understudy in an off-Broadway show, Natalie Portman, was the other understudy. So there are some details like that that I was – yeah, very interesting. That's true. I did not
0: know that. You're right. She
1: eventually gets picked up by
0: producer. Max Martin, the the Swedish mega producer, she begins collaborating. Is hired hired basically to write songs with her. Is hired to write songs with her. She goes – yeah.
1: And she comes out with Baby One More Time, shoots to the top of the charts and also – cultural consciousness. I mean, I vividly remember the moment when Britney came on the scene. I don't know if the same is true for you guys. I was in sixth grade. So this was a huge deal. And the huge deal was that we were seeing someone who was young, Mm -hmm. this huge star who was almost our age, was suddenly arriving and that this was going to be our culture. That was very clear. Brittany was was delivering to us our culture. This was supposed to be for us. But just back to the horror element of the story, you know, she— Has hit after hit, she becomes ubiquitous, um, and she goes through a series of painful personal events, including her very public breakup with Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. and then her also very public breakup with Kevin Federline, her husband and the father of her two tiny children. Mm-hmm. Her She loses custody yes. of her children. She cannot see them. She begins to, you know, she has the famous moment where she shaves her head, captured on camera. Mm-hmm. She goes after a paparazzi who's harassing her with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. And all this ends up in the conservatorship where she loses access. In 2008. In 2008 right. where mm-hmm. she loses access to her money and also to make pretty much any personal decision on her own behalf Mm -hmm. while continuing to work Mm -hmm. to support not merely her family but an entire industry of Britney hangers on who all have seemingly more freedom and more access to her own money than she does. And this does not end for 13 years. And that is the part that is the horror story Mm -hmm. where beautiful pop princess is actually in the clutches of evil... Father figure, I mean quite mm-hmm. literally father, her yeah. own father. Yeah.
0: Literally her own father. Yes,
1: who has who does not have her best interests in heart at heart, to say the very least, who mm-hmm. in fact declares repeatedly, I am Britney Spears, which is absolutely bone chilling. Yeah. And the big question for yeah. me No, it's like I a went gothic. In, it's like a it's gothic. Gothic. It's gothic. Yeah, it's gothic. Yeah. It's incredibly gothic. And the big question that I had when I went to read this book was what was going on in her mind that allowed this to Continue. You mm-hmm. know, was was mm-hmm. she going along with it to some degree? Was she fighting it? What was happening? And I feel like the answer I got, yeah, was that much like in a fairy tale, she kind of it was almost as if she, you know, ate the poison apple and went to sleep for a period of time. Yeah, she did fight, but part of the horrifying thing was that every and this is again what makes it a horror story. Every time she seems to have fought back or protested or tried to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, she was told, well, then you won't be able to see your kids and you won't be able to have access to them and right. we can just take away this thing that is the most important thing you have so you better keep going along with it. Mm-hmm. And it's utterly frightening.
3: It's frightening. I mean, the the most, I think, frightening and also just psychologically astute thing that she does in, in this book, one thing that she describes is very, um, I don't know, artfully done, where it's like, because of the time when I got famous and because of a certain, like, emotional response that to all the, these hardships that happened along the way, she kind of develops this tactic or this this thing happens to her where sometimes she, has, she, she calls it a kind of Benjamin Button thing mm-hmm. where she gets like emotionally younger and she yeah. sort of retreats into this sort of adolescence. Part of the tone of the book is this really interesting psychological thing, but I think you can account for some of it, maybe what I described as skimmableness, as a kind of evasion too it's like well some of for sure we're not going to get those specifics of smell and sight and sound partially Mm -hmm. because i don't think Brittany wants to go there
1: Mm -hmm. and partly maybe because she herself checked out for a bunch of that time i mean it really there is a fog covering this book there is really a fog covering this book yeah like there are there there's a real sense exactly as you say vincent and as she says that she had to go back in time to childhood that she didn't even have, really, this kind of childlike state. I mean, it really made me think, you know, of course, her song, I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman. Yes. Huge song for Britney, mm-hmm. associated with the movie Crossroads.
3: Feels like
1: It seems to me like the the title of that song are words of a curse that was cast over her. She was cursed to not anymore be a girl, but to never become a woman like, you know, hence the title of her book now, The Woman in Me. Yeah. But yeah, very chilling. I think
0: it's really interesting, too, that, you know, in some ways, at least in the, in the public imagination, the way I have, I guess, thought about Britney was— Brittany was normal or, you know, Brittany was seemingly happy, functional, uh, ambitious, successful, fit, talented. And then Brittany became, quote unquote, ruined. Right. But in fact, you know, reading this book, and I'm curious what you guys think about this. It really kind of drew a through line, which makes perfect sense, between her f- more f- overtly functional years, between her healthy years and her later years, right? Because she speaks, for instance, about this um, interview she did with Diane Sawyer in 2003 uh, where uh, Diane Sawyer kind of like surprised her as she, as she uh, describes it uh, with questions about her relationship with Justin Timberlake and asked her about being a role model for – Young girls, and like, why does she expose her body and all of those things? And you see, you know, I rewatched it Ooh, after reading the book, Whew. and you, you kind of see Brittany, it's almost like she's already being kind of held captive <laughs> by these outside perceptions right. of her, even though this is still a moment where she is completely quote unquote normal. What happened to your clothes? What happened? Well, I have on clothes now.
1: I know. But what's this about? No kidding. What is it about?
0: What is it about? Yeah. It's about
1: doing a, a, a beautiful picture. Is it about shocking people? About
0: shocking? You yeah. know what? I feel so you know, comfortable is... in my skin. I think it's a, an okay thing to
2: um, express yourself. Have you, you seen that? No. Uh,
1: talk about horror that is a really frightening piece of work i mean right from the start diane sawyer is basically saying why are you why are you a little sex kitten why are you letting sorry, everyone I've, sexualize you she, yeah. she shows her, have,
0: have you gone too far you know or she shows
1: just... her pictures she shows her magazine pictures of herself and it basically demands to know why she's um appearing in skimpy clothes and Brittany, incredibly movingly to me says well kate hudson is only 22 and she just appeared yeah naked jennifer in lopez, sheets. Jennifer does, lopez does, often yeah. poses really provocatively mm-hmm. yeah. and diane sawyer like won't let her off the hook because britney's been branded by the culture as a little good girl no, i hate to
0: bring this up but kate hudson she's 22 she's in sheets jennifer lopez she poses very provocatively sometimes christina aguilera what's what's the big deal when i do it
1: like come on you know i don't understand I
3: think everybody always thought you had a different relationship to young girls. Everyone now, they look back
0: and they're like, what happened to your sweet image that you used to be? And I'm like, then when I came out,
2: you thought I was too provocative. It's like you can never win. No matter what you do, at the end of the day, you can't please everybody. You know, I'm not here to please.
0: Have you ever gone further than you wish you had?
2: Gone further? Yeah. Um, no. I don't think so. No.
3: To the extent that there is a, at least in Brittany's telling, mm. a bridge between the the healthy years and the unhealthy mm-hmm, years mm-hmm. as this scheme that you have mm-hmm. like, that's totally how I mm-hmm. perceived it as a kid. It's it's romance, and that's a, the other part that makes it a horror because it's like that's interesting. The the opposite of the marriage plot happens huh, in this yeah. book, right? Yeah, where, yeah. Um, suddenly, you know, she talks about having known Justin. Uh, through the uh, Mickey Mouse Club. And then they become in love. And she talks about how attracted to him uh, she was and how, you know, if they were at a party at the same time, they would immediately cleave to one another. Mm-hmm. All these, like, very sweet things. Yes. Um, And all of a sudden, so they're dating. Yeah. And he's, it seems, consistently philandering. And yeah. she describes... Um, making out with the choreographer uh, Wade, Wade Robson. Robson one time, yeah, and it's so funny because even though I remember the big Britney breakout moment, that mm-hmm. was kind of more of an in sync head. Let me just tell you the truth. Hey. Sure, um, the I truth liked comes NSYNC, out. Yeah. Um, more of a JC. Shazé person than a Justin was the, guy. Was hey,
1: arguably hey, the, I'm liking where this is going. Great singer. JC was arguably
0: the hottest. Remember when he dated Eva Longoria I re- briefly? I
3: remember. And I was like, <laughs> good for you. Come on. You're gonna run up the score on Justin here. Um but anyway, anyway. <laughs>
0: moving moving right, moving right
3: along. Moving right along. So I the way I would like was reading some of this and remembering my own memories from mm-hmm. childhood. Mm-hmm. Britney was more of a sort of a character in a growing drama from that. So once Justin comes out with his first album, Justified, I guess it is. And he does Cry Me a River, which is, all there's like a woman that looks like Britney in the video. The way it came down to us through the sort of mechanisms of culture was he was incredibly hurt by Britney um, and was sort of Doing like a revenge thing mm. um, on her through music, the backstage of this again, if that's the scheme we're using like Brittany is talking about how absolutely like heartrendingly hurt she is by this. it is like one of the sadder parts of this yeah. book mm. and we're and we understand it totally differently like you know Justin is basically ghosting out of their relationship she finds out through some sort of message maybe it was a text I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, And then this is all happening as if he's, like, planned it all. And he knows, like, Britney—the way it comes across is that Britney is sacrificed at the altar of his ambition. Yes. he wants to make this song, and therefore he makes it a reality in their real relationship. Yeah. And he knows that something that he has to trade on is this relationship with Britney Spears that becomes part of the the sort of outward myth of Justin Timberlake, you know?
1: Right, right. And also, we should mention, as I think probably everyone has seen but is nonetheless still— very significant the detail that she includes that she had an abortion after getting pregnant with with Justin's baby i mean so yeah. Yeah. you know i was um i i was i was on youtube last night watching her video for every time do you guys remember that
0: what was the vi- i mean i remember the song but what's the video so the video
1: is britney being pulled being in a you know a contentious relationship with a male mm-hmm. pop star type mm-hmm. she is playing a version of herself her face is plastered all over the tabloid she's being dragged through a security scrum they're getting you know in a bit of a physical fight he smashes something against the wall he goes and sits on the couch to have a drink she gets in the tub and kills herself no i still... slides beneath the water oh no he discovers her her body is taken to the hospital and in the next little room at the hospital you know the next curtained room a woman is having a baby so it's oh and of course the comments of this video are now filled with Britney heads saying I never understood the meaning she herself has denied that this was the or maybe she hasn't denied but her co-writer of the song has denied this was going on regardless it was going on That's right. The other thing about Britney is because her True voice, whatever it may be, has been really silenced and stifled for so long. Any sentence we have from her is going to sound new and different. And in this book, for instance, one thing I noticed is that she refers repeatedly to her little heart. She's always saying, my little heart right. couldn't take it. any." So there is yeah. a kind of, again, the Benjamin Button effect, self-infantilizing Infa- infantil- infantilizing, yeah. thing going on. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And there's a – you know, there's definitely – a sorrow that pervades this book and a kind of it, – it does seem like she herself was under some kind of psychological water until the very end when she decided she had to escape from her conservatorship yeah. and she had to bust out, which was, you know, pretty brave. She called 911 and reported yeah. abuse on uh, of her conservator. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you know, yeah, I just wonder what you guys make of the tone of the book in that way.
3: It's 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 different than other memoirs that I've read in that, like, it's not giving me, like, gossipy, dishy, anything like that. It's, yeah. It seems to be, like, if it has a purpose, its purpose is, like, to culminate the long press cycle that has just ended with this conservatorship. You know, we've been paying mm-hmm. so much attention to her as she mm-hmm. fought to get out of the conservatorship. Innumerable magazine pieces. Our magazine ran a piece uh, by Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful piece about the sort of end of this— long long process mm-hmm. um and so it's like it's almost like mandated by the by whatever machinery that like and now we have this artifact that is hers right. speaking of her voice can i just the, the the part that sounded the most like her was the first line of the acknowledgments where she says if you follow me on instagram you thought this book was going to be written in emojis didn't you rose emoji rose emoji rose emoji rose emoji rose emoji rose emoji yeah. it's like oh there she is it's Brittany.
0: In a minute, The Many Faces of the Celebrity Memoir. Critics at Large will be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab.
1: And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade.
2: The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterized the early years of Black Twitter to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large.
1: Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. I'm Tanya Mosley.
2: In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story.
0: the celebrity memoir is a genre I've famously, <laughs> not famously, who cares, uh, loved and enjoyed for decades. I mean, I love me a tell-all. Um, and I just, much like you, Vincent, I, I I love even just the shred of hope that I'm going to get a peek behind the curtain of fame. Showbiz. Showbiz, baby. <laughs> um, and, and also another interesting thing to me about the celebrity memoir as a genre is how Different these books can be from each other, serving different purposes and 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 you know uh, attempting to reach different aims. Um, and so, could we sketch out some categories within the genre? Like Brittany's memoir, it's kind of like a reclaiming, maybe yeah. like a reclamation yeah. memoir, Absolutely. Yep. right? So that is one kind of one arm of 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 this multi-armed, you know, genre that is the celebrity memoir. What are some other uh that you can think of? Other I think my categories? favorite is
3: like older artists, like Lion in Winter, mm-hmm. settling scores, mm. telling you what it was. Um usually these people are a little bit less inhibited by Uh, sort of their future reputation. And so they're like telling you everybody they ever had sex with and they're telling you who's an asshole and what it was like, self-mythologizing, you Mm -hmm. know, to take it with a grain of salt, but it's super fun.
0: Can we think of of an example of this maybe?
3: Um, Wow, you're so funny. Sometimes these manifests as this, like, long interviews. So, like, for mm-hmm. example, Quincy Quincy Jones had an amazing oh, yeah. one with David Marchese a long time ago. That was crazy. It was, it was just like, and did you know Marlon Brando was fucking James Baldwin? Just... I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then we had sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the
3: end of every story. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think another um, tell-all memoir that I really love is You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again mm. from the early 90s by Julia Phillips, who was the first... Um, Woman to win an Oscar for producing and went on to produce Taxi Driver, uh, was fired off uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind that she began producing because she had this humongous cocaine problem, which kind of brought her to her knees for some years until she reemerged and wrote this like absolutely scathing, insanely no holds barred, like barn burner of a memoir.
1: Which I recommend to everyone. I mean, we must respect it. I respect it. We must respect the burn it all down. Yeah. You know, Nomi, you make a persuasive case. You make a very persuasive case that suggests to me another category, which is the catastrophe memoir. Hmm. Just like, you know, a good catastrophe memoir, you cannot look away. And and it's about a certain it's about life in extremis, um, which is not yes. something in the same way that fame such a good way to put it. In the same way that fame is an extreme state that most of us will never have access to. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. kind of um, you know, like wretched things happening over and over again, there is an absolute fascination. And it you know, it's an honestly another memoir not really like that, but maybe adjacent is um Matthew Perry's memoirs, mm-hmm. spe- you know, mm-hmm.
3: Matthew Perry, who played Chandler on the, the, the hit sitcom Friends talking about his struggles. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't yeah. remember the third season of Friends, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, you know, from it, it's actually a very charismatic book. And he's just writing about, you know, we're, we're recording this a few days after after he died who had a lifelong struggle with drugs and alcohol and depression and just really had a very, very brutal time of it and writes in a totally unsparing way about the lowest moments of his life, which were many more lowest moments than I think most people go through.
0: Vincent, you also read uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's Worthy, also a very recent famous person Very memoir. famous person. Um, that has been getting a lot of press right. lately. Uh you know the the wife of Will Smith, an actress in her own right, mother of Willow and uh, Jaden.
3: Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Um.
1: <laughs> uh, now just, it's time for you to tell all. Now it's time
0: for I you know. to tell all about this memoir. What category would you say it belongs to, and and what do you think is is and what's yeah. it like? Because we've I, been reading yeah. so much about it. You that's know? right,
3: and I think. Yes, that is one of the key features of it is that it's been brought to us in many other forms. Mm -hmm. The modern celebrity memoir on some level is a kind of uh, aircraft carrier. It's a huge thing and all the little things on it, all the little parcels on it, you know, this one goes to Hoda Cop on the Today Show. This one goes on to this podcast. This one is shared by the that weird uh, Twitter account, Pop Sugar that tells you all the uh, little yes. bits of celebrity gossip. This one goes into page six, right? So it's been kind of already— Sometimes all at once. That, that's right. So it's all been kind of churning through our metabolisms before we even read the book, if we read the book. It makes it such that we don't need to read the book. Mm-hmm. But if it is a genre piece, I think— there is a certain thing that's, uh, you might call it the chapter marker. Jada Pinkett Smith has just been through a long multi-year question about her relationship with Will Smith. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, a couple years ago it comes out that she has been having what she calls an entanglement with Jaden's friend, the singer August Alsina. By the way, huge incident, I, contr- I control F this book for August. The only August that comes up is August Wilson. So I call BS. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was in a play. It's like, you know what the fuck I came here for. Um, wow. Anyway. A betrayal of the reader, you uh, might say. I'm, 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 this Not reader, even August the month? <laughs> this reader. She doesn't even <laughs> talk about- That's where I thought he was going. She out. doesn't talk about the hot months at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, She stays um, cool. She st- that's what she does is stay cool. Um, so it's like on some level, you know, the stuff that makes it to us is the, the stuff about Will Smith, Right. We haven't been together in seven years. We are still in a marriage, but we're not divorced. And we're more like, you know, life partners, walking through life together. And then, of course, this throws into question other things that have happened in their celebrity life together. Uh, Most vividly, the slap. slap. Will Smith at the Oscars, uh, rushing the stage after Chris Rock makes a joke about Jada uh, Pinkett Smith's hair, runs up, slaps Uh, Chris Rock, huge deal. So I think she's had this weird stage of her career, so she needs to cap that in some way. And I think what I learned from this memoir, which is actually really interesting when it's not about Will Smith, there's lots of wonderful anecdotes. Like, she's got some good stories. She meets bell hooks at the time that she gets onto the set of um i like that I a different like, world yeah, that like sounds... she's telling us that Cree summer is like the, the smartest feminist she ever met when she was a kid she's telling us by the way she sold crack in baltimore before she became an actress and she like tells us about this like for a while my goal to be an actress was eclipsed by my desire to be a queen pin in baltimore I was like, yeah Excuse wow. me. so it's like interesting stuff yes where it's like whoa she's really giving it up yeah but you know That you only have this book because you want to find out what the deal is with her and Will Smith. Because you're
0: doing Control-F on August.
3: Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, where's August Alcina? Yeah. Um, But, like, if it hadn't been so annoyingly posed to me with this Will Smith stuff, and I think there's been a backlash to this book as a result, um, you can see, though, how it is a barge, like a vehicle for also the mechanisms of fame.
0: Right, right. No, I think that's true. And I think also it's like— I, I'm wondering, you know, one question that we've been maybe mentioning a little bit and kind of circling around is like, okay, nowadays we get so much. We get a stream of unending nuggets from celebrities through social media, right? Like what do we get from the celebrity memoir that we don't get from the constant drip of, of kind of like day-to-day revelations from people in the public eye?
3: Well, to play the cynic. mm mm-hmm. The opposite, the the sort of inversion of that question is what they get from it instead of what they get from social media. And okay. social media, while monetizable, is not as directly monetizable as mm, a book. It's mm, like a book is a product. And mm, so it's like, of course. you know, so I think that's definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what we get is the illusion of a something that is unperformed. I think, and this is what is magical about, you know, let me testify to just the beauty of prose, the medium in which I work, mm-hmm. is that. Um, while it is a surface, while it is a series of veneers, um, its intimacy makes us think that it's not, you know. And mm-hmm. so we've been trained, most of us, to understand social media as performance. And I don't think that. Um, I don't think that prose is subject to the same cynicism. I, I, I just, even if we it, even if it comes across as marketing copy when someone starts to say. This happened to me and uses that magical pronoun I at length. Um, There is a temptation.
1: I see it a little differently. Um, The book is also a performance, and I think there's no doubt about that, but it's just a different kind of performance. And so Mm. even just the fact of duration, you know, it has to go on a bit longer, and you have to connect the dots more. You have to tell a story, and Mm -hmm. people are coming Mm -hmm. to be told a story. It's intentional. You know, to, to me, the experience of reading one of these books when it succeeds is also a bit of a fugue state. It is about entering. So it's you're in bed. The whole day goes by. You you're the sheets are rumpled. You're eating little snacks. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> you're maybe I like you're this. By, Maybe you're by the pool. I
1: love this. But like, I like where this is going? Yeah, you're in this the mode. Totally, that's totally. You're this. in the zone, You're, as in, Brittany, you're in the as Brittany, zone, as Brittany, Brittany would, say, would say. And there's that kind of <laughs> pleasure that comes uh-huh. from you know from yeah. from reading one of these books. And that is itself. That's the technology of reading on a certain level it's a very effective technology social media is not about that and whether or not the promises of revelation are true or are hyped up beyond what they can offer if that experience is delivered that's a satisfaction in its own so if the memoir too is a
0: performance that makes us the readers the audience what's our role in all this Critics at Large from The New Yorker will be right back.
3: I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
1: I'm thinking about is the audience for these books, because think about the Britney memoir, for instance. We're reading this memoir now, but the same people who are reading the memoir, hearing about what it was like for Britney are also, you know, many of them slash us are the same people who are either, if not buying the tabloids plastered with Britney's face and body, at least walking through the supermarkets where the tabloids were sold um, and participating in that aspect of the culture that she is now writing about, it's a little bit a hall of mirrors. You know, we consumed Britney as she was given Mm -hmm. to us in the late 90s and early 2000s. And now we're, again, still in the Britney industry. You know, this time she gets to, I guess, take a different kind of advantage of the Britney industry. But, you know, are we jackals who <laughs> have been wanting to eat Britney up and now get to put on a nice face and be sympathetic to what she went through? I mean, mm-hmm. that's maybe the coolest yes. way to ask the question. But what what responsibility do the same people who are reading her book to get her inside take bear for some of the treatment that she went through?
3: Yeah, it's it's really hard to parse. And mm. I think part of the reason is that there really isn't um, there isn't really a difference between, as you say, the sort of um, reading Brent- Britney sympathetically in her own words or sort of reading from the outside um, all the tabloid stuff. You know, I think about the genius segment of uh, Us Weekly that we all take for granted now, but stars, they're just like us. That's like a yeah. That was an innovation. Janice Min, the great um, yep. editor of Us Weekly at that time. Um, once you su- submit to being a celebrity, your music and then how you appear in magazines and then... What you produce as a memoir all contributes to this this one big text, right? And yeah. that's what's interesting about the memoirs because it 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 brings us into another sort of like one chapter of what the the actual like Iliad that is Britney Spears. right? Yeah. it's a whole thing, and so this is why it makes this is why you know we don't experience that cognitive dissonance between. Sort of vulturishly looking at her in the tabloids, and then sympathetically reading her book. It's mm-hmm. all part of one cloth, right? Yeah. It's like a this grand synthesis, and the and the the text, the text is Brittany herself. Yeah. Um. So it 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 makes it such that it doesn't feel like uh, a crisis for the for the reader, the for the watcher, whatever, for the regular person. Um. It's just like a new chapter or something like that.
1: Maybe. But I think also – it may not be a crisis, but I do think there's a – there is this kind of – I think a lot of people are having the reaction of, oh, shit. We didn't know what she was going through and we were just ogling Oh, definitely. Definitely.
0: There is a come-to-Jesus moment, I think. And I think in general there's been a come-to-Jesus moment with Lindsay Lohan, with Jessica Simpson who put out a memoir a couple years ago that was actually quite good um, of like, look how – Culture tore us apart. Look how uh, women-hating it was. Look how our bodies were, you know, kind of, like, poured over in this, like, both, like, sexually insulting and also um, jackalish way. Yeah,
1: I do think this was an extreme low point for Definitely. those things in the culture. Definitely. This kind of treatment was particularly grotesque.
0: Yeah. And I also think is a question is where we want these books to end, you know, I think, I think like a satisfaction of these books, especially with the catastrophe memoir or the the memoirs that that tell the truth, the bad truth, right? Either about oneself or about the circumstances. You know, I think there's a sense, or at least when I was reading them, you wanted everything to be okay by the end. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's so true. I mean like with the Matthew Perry for instance the memoir as you said Alex um recounts in excruciating detail his lows and lows you know of his addiction and depression and just like his inability to get himself a h- horrible health problems stemming from all of these things that have 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 happened like abusing his body and and uh, he's he's clean by the end of the memoir you know um there's I always feel this hope that Okay, we're now, we started in a bad place, and now we're in a better place. Um, We want it to be okay, you know? We want our celebrities to be okay, maybe because they're avatars for ourselves. You know, we want us to be okay, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't know. Possibly?
3: I think it, you know, it depends. You know, this whole desire for a happy ending may have... um, it may have its like grounding in what we were talking about before this sense, this question of responsibility. You know, okay. if if I'm oh, oh, if I'm worried oh, that my favorite sitcom sure. is what contributed to the many problems of Matthew Perry, mm-hmm. um, there is something maybe exonerating about learning that he's okay.
0: Yeah, like thank God. I
3: watched Friends. He went through it, but everybody, we're both okay now. Mm-hmm. It might have to do something to do with that sort of you know unraveling whatever feelings of complicity we have mm-hmm. but then it's just like to the extent that celebrity the capital C celebrity has worked on us and i feel some level of you know the 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 hot term for this is parasocial uh connection with this person who yeah. i have not met mm-hmm. um i am now invested and yeah. on some level it's like if you like good endings in novels too it's like you know the the, the twin satisfactions of um uh palatable resolution as we experience in in fiction and also the idea that we know this person both of these things like artifice and reality can be put together in that moment of they're okay
1: yeah you know, I think we care when we have relationships. Vincent is calling it parasocial, and that's that's right. You know, we have relationships to people we don't actually know. Mm-hmm. And they're, in a lot of ways, fictional relationships. These people are real, but and maybe even the relationships are real, but something is made up along the way because right. we don't know these people. So, yeah, the, the books are the next step in that. We're being brought closer in. Yeah. I,
0: I really do think that we want our celebrities— And we want our celebrity memoirs to reflect that, the fact that they're both better and worse, okay? We want the better. We want the richer. We want the more glamorous. We want lifestyles of the rich and famous, like I do at least. And I think a lot of people probably do. We want to read about a life that's unlike our own, right? That's not like, and then I went home and I cleaned the kitty litter, you know? But we also want lows that are hopefully lower than our own because— It has maybe to do with a bit of schadenfreude. You know, it has maybe a bit to do with um, a sense that, see, money and fame don't bring happiness and beauty and so on. You know, it makes makes us feel a little bit better about our lives. But we also do want that happy ending, I think. Or I do, at least. Because of that parasocial relationship that we have with with celebrities that, that Vincent was talking about because if they're not okay
1: how can we be okay <laughs> but is some of it just about you've just you Such know a these good these well it is it is a great question you know i'm just wondering like the thing about happy endings is this because they are in some ways fictionalized characters and we've grown close to them and we want there to be a happy ending for a character we sympathize with Yes. Is is it yeah. as simple yeah. as that on a narrative yeah, that, level? Yeah, that I That big so.
3: text has created someone that we care about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mm-hmm. celebrity mm-hmm. has created a persona. And then I think there is um on a basic level, on a very like down to earth like and this is goes to the power of art, although, you know, I would Britney's art is not my favorite art. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think there is a basic thing. You're more of an NSYNC man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'd like to clarify that for everybody. But there is a basic thing of if someone has given you pleasure through art. Yeah. You care about them. When that happens to us and it happens to all of us, whether it's through the gears of celebrity or not, it creates a kind of bond. I think that's a real thing.
0: Uh, and our celebrity joint celebrity memoir is is hastening to stores oh, very soon, wait. like our
3: podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Critics at Large, behind, <laughs> behind the, the scenes. scenes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for talking to me, you guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. See you next week. This has been Critics at Large. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby. Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music. We had engineering help today from James Yost, and this episode was mixed by Mike Kutchman. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear what you think. See you next time. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfegh talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions, and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get
1: your podcasts.